All right, good morning. Merry Christmas. Yeah, this might... Um, we had settings on our sound equipment, and it was sounding all good, and it's electronic. You know, electronics are awesome when they work. <laughs> when they don't work right, it's, it's like, ugh, all you want to do is punch it, right? Uh, so our settings got all erased somehow, and they're just gone and not there. And so uh, the last settings that are there for back from April, and we've made so many different changes and stuff, so uh, the sound is a little off. So if it sounded a little off or weird or muddy or whatever, you know, sorry about that. But if it sounded good, if it sounded good to you, just raise your hand. Oh, praise the Lord. It's the miracle of Christmas. <laughs> hey, God does miracles still today. So, uh, yeah, that was, we haven't had something like that happen in over a year, you know, to us with our, our sound equipment. So we've been blessed with uh, just wonderful sound and sound checks for, for months now, and then uh, today of all days. But I, I'm excited about this morning regardless. Amen. And, you know, the last three weeks, we've been going over uh, preparing for Christmas. That's the sermon series. And, and we started off talking about waiting and, and how that Israel, they, they were in wait mode for the Messiah to come. And then we talked about mystery and how the mystery of God humbling himself as a man. You know, that, that, that is just, just the mystery of that. And then last week, uh, Pastor Justin was talking about redemption and how that we are redeemed and this morning, I want to just talk about the incarnation and just kind of sum all of this up this morning of what we've been talking about the last three weeks. But before we dive in, let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time. Father, this morning, we just thank you for your presence. We just thank you for the opportunity to come once again to hear your word, to worship you, to give back to you, and to love one another here today. And so, Father, I thank you that all distractions will be gone and we can open up our hearts and minds, able to receive what you have for us in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you that we do not leave here the same. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, incarnation is a term used by theologians to indicate that Jesus the Son of God took on human flesh. So the incarnation more focuses on Jesus' humanity, and we'll, we'll talk about both because we know that Jesus was both God and man at once here on this earth. The word our incarnation means the act of being made flesh. It comes from a Latin version of John 1.14, which in English reads this, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's John one. 14, and we know that Jesus is the Word. And so there's a few things that we want to uh, you know, cover about the incarnation before we dig into the main message of what I want to talk about. And the first thing is that the incarnation, the birth of Christ here on the, on the earth, was not an accident. It wasn't by happenstance. It was prophesied and it was planned. It was part of God's master plan. We look in Isaiah 9, verse 6. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So the incarnation was by design. It was part of God's master plan. 
And we've got to understand, and even though it may seem weird, we may not be able to comprehend it all, we've got to know that God's ways are higher than our ways. The things that he knows, we may not know at all, but he is the ultimate wisdom. And so we've got to put our trust in him and know that all things that were done and are still being done are not without... He notices, he knows what's going on, he understands... He understands exactly what you're going through, what I'm going through, what's happening in the world at large when we look at around the world, this happening over here, that good thing or this bad thing. He knows, and it's all part of God's master plan of how he's bringing all things back into himself. Heaven coming to earth at the end, the culmination of the kingdom. Now, see, for many in our society, the other thing we've got to know about the incarnation is this, is that, you know, the manger wasn't the beginning of Jesus. See, for many in our society, they see the nativity every year, and they go back, okay, roughly 2,000 years ago or a little over 2,000 years ago, and Jesus comes onto the scene. Well, not exactly, not exactly. That, the manger was not Jesus' beginning. The virgin conception and the birth in Bethlehem, it does not mark the beginning of the Son of God. We look in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the light, life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. John makes it clear that the Word, which is Jesus, was there. Not just He wasn't just the beginning, there in the beginning when creation He was already before the beginning of the beginning. He just was. So Jesus was there before anything was. And Jesus, as we see here in verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. So you can say that Jesus created the universe. Now, see, that's hard for a lot of people in our society, or maybe they haven't heard that before, or maybe for you, maybe you think, you know, you think of Jesus coming on the scene and in the manger, but Jesus was there in the beginning. He is part of the triune Godhead. He is, we have the God, the Father, we have the Son, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. He was there from the beginning. And so God, okay, so he was there in the beginning, so God became human. The incarnation. God, who was there, always was. He just was. And that's hard to wrap your mind around. That's hard to fathom because we all have a beginning. We have a birthday. We know the day and the hour. I know the day and the hour that I was born. Why? Because my parents told me, not because I could remember. But mom and dad said, hey, it was right here on April 8th, you know, in 1975. You were born on that day. And see, so it's hard for us to think of something that's already in in existence. It just was just there. But Jesus was there from the beginning. And so he is God. And so therefore, God became man. Just that concept right there, God becoming human, baffles me. It is a mystery. It is a mystery to most. 
We couldn't, we don't, we can't seem to wrap our minds around it. And see, there's lots of evidence that we see that the eternal son entered physically in our world and became one of us. There's ample evidence. We'll look at it. He needed sleep in Luke 8, 23. I'm not going to read all these verses. I'm just going to make a list of some of the evidence in Scripture. Jesus needed sleep. How many need sleep? Hopefully you had a good night's sleep last night. Hopefully you're all going to sleep real good. I know for the kids, it's hard for them to go to sleep on Christmas Eve. They can't wait for the next morning, the presents and all. They're like, I remember the Christmas Eve's growing up, you know, I'm trying to go to sleep and I'm like, oh, I can't wait for it in the morning. And I'm so amped up. I'm so psyched. And it's like, it's midnight and I still haven't gone to sleep. And I had this thought, I had this thought as I got a little older. It's like, if I just hurry up and calm down and push it from my mind, it'll get here quicker. Because I can go to sleep and it'll get here quicker. But it, doesn't, it didn't work. I was still amped up. I was like, what am I going to get? What are they going to think of my gift that I'm going to give to them? I'm all excited. Christmas is just that, that wonderful time of the year. You know, I'm not going to sing it, but it's that wonderful time. And so Jesus he needed sleep. We see it in Luke eight twenty three. He needed food. I need food. Maybe the moment I said food, you might have gone, your stomach might have gone, you know, it's like that subliminal thing. All of a sudden now you're hungry because I said food. Did that happen? So Jesus needed food. We see it in Matthew 4 and Matthew 21. He needed physical protection. That one right there, you're like, what, what do you mean, TJ? In Matthew 2, remember... Joseph had the dream and they had to go to Egypt because Jesus was in danger. He was in danger. He needed physical protection. Just like as humans, we need physical protection as well. He perspired. He sweat. In Luke 22, we see that. He bled in John 19. He expressed human emotions, including joy in John 15, sorrow in Matthew 26, and anger in Mark 3. Yes, he was angry and sinned not. In John 8, Jesus referred to himself as a man. After his resurrection, his humanity was still recognized in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. So again, he was one of us. This means because he became human, this means he understands you. He understands you. See, a lot of times we go, you know how you go through something and, you know, somebody else, you're telling somebody else or whatever, and, or they're like, well, what's wrong? And, you know, and they're trying to help and they're trying to tell you what's wrong and you do that whole thing, you wouldn't understand. How many has ever said that? Don't raise your hand. Hang on, let's have, you said it. I know you did. I did. We've all said, you wouldn't understand. What's wrong? You wouldn't get it. You just wouldn't understand. We do that. We'll do that. But here's the thing. See, God, because he became human, he gets it. He does understand. He knows. This is why I am so thankful and I am so glad. It's just one of the reasons, one of the things. I am so thankful that God chose to become like me. And, and you know, just saying that and thinking about it, it's like, we don't think that. God became like me. You know, we've, we're created in his image, but no, God became like me. Human. He was human. And because of that, he really gets it. He really knows what I'm going through right now. Right now. Now, the thing is, is he wasn't just human. He was also divine. He was God 
and man. In John 1, 1, we go back to that verse again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus, while he was on the earth, was God. That's what that phrase means, simply. The Word was God. Jesus, while on the earth, was God. I want to read this quote by James Boyce. He said this, Everything that can be said about God the Father can be said about God the Son. In Jesus dwells all the wisdom, glory, power, love, holiness, justice, goodness, and the truth of the Father. In Him, God the Father is known. And you know, the Apostle Paul, and we're going to read here in, in, in Philippians chapter 2, he gives us a, a really good picture of how God is human, but yet He's also divine. And that right there it really, it, it just, it doesn't make sense to the natural mind. But see, it's important that we know and that we understand that he was human, that he took on humanity, and that he was God. It means something, and we're going to get there. In, but first, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Paul here is talking, and he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by coming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And we look back in verse 6, and it's as though he was. He was in the form of God. That's what he was, okay? King James says being in the form of God. This word is a compound word of two Greek words. One of the words means from, the other means first, original, or ancient. And when you put it together, it depicts something that has always existed or to just always there, always existed, or to eternally exist, was and always will be. That's what it means, this being. That's what it's talking about here. This is Jesus, always. And then in verse 7, when it says, He emptied himself, and King James says, But made himself of no reputation. This phrase, though, emptied himself, it comes from an ancient Greek word, kenosis, which simply means emptied. Simply means emptied. And I say, well, okay, T.J., right then and there, we see, okay, God was in human form, and now he's emptying himself. Now he's human, so he wasn't God? Is that, is, that, is that what it is? This doesn't mean that Jesus emptied himself of his deity in any way. Verse 7 and 8, they explain what this means. It's just that God simply changed form. He took on humanity. In other words, he became God and man. This was humbling because while there wasn't a shred of deity subtracted, he had to renounce some of the rights of the deity. In other words, he couldn't rule in heaven, in heavenly form, any longer. He had to put down that form. Instead, he became like us in human form. Let's read it one more time, verse 7. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of of men and being found in human form. He was found in human form. God found in human form. He was still both. 
He humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And we look at this phrase here. This is real important. Get this this morning. If you don't get anything else, get this. This is so good. Taking the form of a servant. This describes how Jesus emptied himself. Here's Jesus. He's God in God form, ruling in heaven. Now he decides, I'm going to step down from that, that place, that place. I'm going to empty myself of that, and I'm going to take on the form of a servant. He didn't, just, he didn't empty himself of his deity or any of his attributes. And the thing is, is that he decided, I'm going to humble myself and be a man. Take this man form. Taking. This word taking. It's an ancient Greek word. It doesn't imply an exchange, but an addition. He added humanity as a servant. Now... Think about you. Think about me. Think about those in our culture. Think about everyone around them. When you think about the people that we live with, the society we live in, we think about all the people we come in contact with. Is it safe to say, will you agree with me here today? Is it safe to say that we live in a me society or an I society? It's all about me. What's good for me? I'm not going to do this or that because it's not good for me. God didn't have himself in mind. He never thought one moment, one second about himself when he did this. He took on the form of of a servant because he was thinking about you. He was thinking about me. That runs contrary. That's the other current. That's going upstream. That's, we can't comprehend that. We don't think that way. We don't do that. Church, that's like you being an extremely rich. You've got this huge mansion. You've got 10 cars. You're actually a billionaire, a multi-billionaire. You've got all of this stuff. You decide to get rid of all of it and go sleep in the woods without even a tent. And even that doesn't describe what God did. Think about that. And now, see, this is the part, you know, see, it blows me. Because when I think about God, I think about him, the one who created the universe, the one who spit out the stars, okay? I think about all that, and then I think about, this is God, and he came to be human? That's like me deciding, you know what, I don't want to be a human anymore. I'll be an ant. Who wants to be an ant? Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. (laughs) Nobody here is going for that. That's what God did. And that's amazing. And he did it for you. He did it for me. So what does that mean for us? I want to read this 
Quote by Jacob M. Wright, If God becomes human, that means God is validating the human experience as true and meaningful. The incarnation validates the human experience. We are not meaningless species floating on the currents of matter here today, gone tomorrow. Our dreams, our memories, our hopes mean something because God became one of us and God will always be one of us. God is called both our father and our brother, being both the organ of human being and a partaker of it that's awesome what that means for you and me is that i matter that humanity matters you say, well i've heard it no 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 we've just put it in a totally different context we just put it how god who was god all spit out the stars, sitting in God form in heaven and became like you and me and humbled himself like that, what he just did was validate my humanity, who I am. I am not meaningless. I was fearfully and wonderfully made. He knew all the, he knows the number of hairs on my head. He knew me before I was born. It was because of him I was born because he opens and closes the womb. I have purpose because of what God did. I have purpose. And therefore, when I walk and when I have hopes, when I have dreams, when I have all these things, it really matters and it makes a difference. I am significant. I am his child. I am his masterpiece. And now when I read that because I know what God did for me, when I see that thing masterpiece, now I can look in the mirror and say, you're awesome. And you can too. You can do that. We're to have confidence in God the Father, the confidence triangle. Have confidence in Him. Have confidence in yourself and have confidence in those around you. Amen. I can do that because my humanity has been validated by the Son of God who stripped Himself of God form and went into human form. Mm, That's good. I like it. You say, okay, I hear that. That's what it means for me. All these things. So why did God become human? Let's look at a couple of reasons. The incarnation is necessary for salvation. The incarnation of Jesus does not save us by by, by itself. We know that. It's an essential link in God's plan of redemption. We've got to, without the incarnation, we don't have a cross. Hebrews 12, 2 Verses 17, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. In other words, look at this statement again. I just said it a second ago. Without a manger, we don't get a cross. Without a manger, we don't get a cross. Why did God come to be born in a manger? So that he could go to a cross. For you and me. It was deep enough just thinking about the manger and how he's going to come here from God form into human form. And then you start thinking about what he did when he was here. That, that just further blows your mind and it'll bring you to tears if you really start thinking about it. Because he did it for you and me. Mm. I want to read this statement from Joseph Shash- Shaman, something like that. From Joseph. The incarnation displays the greatness of God. Our God is the eternal God 
who was born in a stable, not a distant, withdrawn God. Our God is a humble, giving God, not a selfish, grabbing God. Our God is a purposeful, planning God, not a random, reactionary God. Our God is a God who is far above us and whose ways are not our ways, not a God we can put in a box and control. And our God is a God who redeems us by his blood, not a God who leaves us in our sin. Our God is great indeed. Isn't that awesome? He is great indeed. Okay, so TJ, you just said God became human to save us for salvation. He came here for that. But why did he do that? Then we look at this, and we know the simple answer, right? John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Y'all could read God and Son, right? Everybody knows it. It's because God loves us, TJ. I've heard that. I know it. And I see it on the football game, too, on the sign behind the end zone that somebody dropped down. I see John 3.16, and it reminds me, and, and, and I hear it all the time, and I think about it all the time. God loves me. God loves me. And it's awesome that you love it. It's awesome that, I, that, that we love that and that we know that. We've got to know that, that God loves us. And the thing is, is that what most people think when they think about, okay, God loves me, it's they think of it as love is how we love each other. And that's a good example too. But see, the thing is, is that it's, God's love is deeper for us than what we can really comprehend or really get our mind around. Here's why. Look at this statement. God loves human beings without distinction. Without distinction. Well, I know that. He loves me just as much as he loves you. I get that. No, no let's really think about that for a minute. Let's really look, and especially in the political climate we have, the cultural climate that we find ourselves in, where we're at, God loves human beings without distinction. See, God's love for humanity, it goes beyond our comprehension because God loves, get this, if if you're here, get this, God loves the unlovable. See, the people you don't love, the people you can't stand, or the people that society hates, God loves them. One more time. The people that society hates and has discarded and doesn't count, God loves them. Church, I'm guilty of this. I have to, look, if we're all being honest with ourselves, I think we look and we say, I can't love fully like God loves. I'm going to try, though. <laughs> I'm going to do my best to do it. I, without distinction, God loves the unlovable. In Acts 10.34, Peter was explaining this. He was talking to Cornelius, and he said this. Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. He shows no partiality. Now, see, at the time, see, at the time, The Jews at that time were like, oh, the Messiah came back for us. He's our Messiah. He's not everybody else's. He's mine. God loves us. We're his chosen people. Everybody else, they're heathens or unclean or whatever it may be. But see, Paul ruined that too when he said there is no Jew, there is no Greek, There's no difference. 
there's no distinction. God loves the unlovable. He loves without distinction, without partiality. Now, what does this really mean? It's more clearly seen in James. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, James chapter 2, verse 1. Church, I said everything I said, before you put up James, don't put that there. I said everything I said today to get to this right here. Get this. James chapter 2, verse 1. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you, have, if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor, well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Verse 8, yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. Now, I had never read that passage before in the New Living Translation. And when I read it, this week, and I looked at it, because a lot of times I'll break down scriptures and I'll look at different versions and I'll look at it. I started thinking about our society, our culture. Is that not relevant to today? Is that not rele- relevant to where we are? So many people, we're, we're going around, you know, it, it, Paul said, there's no Jew, there's no Greek, it doesn't, there's no Samaritan. It doesn't matter. There's no black. There's no white. There's no... Now, look, we know we are. I'm white. I get it. But Paul said, you're focusing on the wrong stuff. That's why he had to say it. See, a lot of times we think we're dealing with something new. We're not. They were dealing with it then. It's been around since the beginning of time. Discrimination has always been there. And church, I've got news for you. It always will be until Christ comes back. And what we've got to do, the job of the church, is to love like Jesus loved. To love without distinction. Church, you can be active, you can be an activist, you can say all this, you can bring attention to this issue, that issue, and if you don't bring God in it, it ain't going to change. Are you here? God spoke to me real strong about that. He said, we got all this, and look, and there's some good stuff out there, and I get it. I mean, it's wonderful stuff, I'm all for it, and we'll see little increments of change in our society without God, but let me tell you something. There is a shift coming, and the shift is when the church realizes that all the things that we face, and all the things that we're looking at in society, the answer is God, period. It is the love of God. Because church, it takes the love of Christ coming in, changing your life to the point where you can put on a different color glasses, those glasses of love that doesn't see anything else. They don't see wealth, they don't see poor, they don't see color, they don't see all those things. All they see is somebody that God loves, so therefore I've got to love them.
That's it. That's it. The incarnation, Christ coming in the manger, paved the way for the cross. God didn't go to a cross so that we could fight over all these silly things that we fight over. I know it's not a super amen. Oh, hallelujah. But it's the truth. It's what we need. You know, this Christmas, when I sit around the tree this year, I'm going to do what Philippians 2, verse 5 says. Just the first part right there. It says, let this mind be in you. Let this mind be in you. Church, I say to you, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation, took upon the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of of the cross. Let this mind be in you. In other words, think like Jesus thought. Have the same attitude that Christ did. What was that attitude? It was one of humility and self-sacrificing love. It was one that says, I'm not better than those that are down there on that earth. I just did a down this way. I don't know where God is. Okay. Let's be real with it. That's what he did. I'm no better. I'm going to take on the form of the servant and I'm going to save them because they don't get that. That's why I'm coming. This Christmas, let that mind be in you. Let this mind be in me. As we go into this next year, we allow that kind of thinking to permeate into our spirits, into our life, so that everything we do, we have those glasses on, like Jesus had on, which is humility, self-sacrificing love for others, despite how unlovable that person may seem. And that's hard. That's hard. Especially when someone throws it up in your face. Church, have you ever given a gift to someone and they didn't like it and they let you know they didn't like it? Don't raise your hand because I'm sure that happens, has happened to all of us, maybe more than once. And they let you know they didn't like it. How did it make you feel? What if you took the time and the thoughtfulness to go out and you shopped for two hours for that thing or maybe it was something you made. You handmade it. It was some craft thing or something. And you spent 20 hours on this thing or whatever. You know, and you give this and they're just like, oh, thanks. <laughs> oh, that's so utter crap. How does it make you feel? It's just like, oh my goodness. I wonder... I really do. I want God, he comes down and he does this and he gave us a gift. It is a gift. It's his son. The gift of him being in the manger and then going to a cross. The gift of taking away all of everything I've done wrong. But yet, it's like I throw it back in his face when I treat others in a harsh manner. When I treat others And I don't love them. It's like I've thrown it back up to Christ. Like, I can't be that living sacrifice to you. See, the word says, he he went to the cross. All he wants us to do is to be a living sacrifice for him. Sacrifice of what? Sacrifice of love. Here's the thing. 
Let this mind be in you. I'm going to end on this. We're not going to do the rest. I got some more, but we're not going to do the rest. In you. One more time. In you. See, that mentality of love, it has to be in you. To think that way. To see the person on the street corner holding the sign, it has to be in you, church. Are, are, are you here? You have to have a change internally so you can express God's love externally. Let this mind be in you. Let's all stand. See, without a true change internally, we will have wrong attitudes and not even know it. Has someone ever treated you wrong and you had to let them know they treated you wrong because they had no idea? And that's because that's who they are. (laughs) And you're trying to tell them who they are. See, a change has to come inside so we can express it to others. If we don't have that true change internally, we'll have wrong attitudes and we won't even know it because it's who we are. We'll feel justified in every wrong action that we take. We'll be selfish, prideful, judgmental, which is the opposite of loving without distinction which is the opposite of loving the unlovable. We put our glasses of judgment on and those kind of things. You know, we put selfishness on. It's all about me. And it will stay that way until we have that change on the inside, that internal change. It was David who said, and he cried out to God, and he said, search me, O God, if there be any wicked way in me. If there be any wicked way, I know for a fact I can't love the same as God. I, I can't even fathom his love. But I know for a fact that he commanded me to love like him. So that means through his spirit, he will give me the power to do so. See, I can't in myself, I can't do it within myself. I have got to have the spirit of God to love the unlovable. To love that family member that's coming to your house that you just can't stand and you see once a year. No, <laughs> I love you guys. <laughs> I love them. He was like, I can't wait to see them. I love it. But you know, you've got to love that weird uncle or whatever. Despite You've got to put on a different color glasses. It's the glasses that just says love without distinction. This morning, I want us to go to the Lord in prayer. We're going to go to God and we're going to do like David did. And we do this from time to time. We say, search me, oh God. If there's any wrong attitude, wrong way of thinking, wrong way of doing things, God I need that to change in me. I need a change on the inside. How many here by a show of hands could just say, I need a change? After looking at this message, boy, it was me. 
I needed to change. I needed to think a little different. I needed to, I need to see a little different. So let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Father, this morning, first of all, we thank you again for the opportunity to come to hear from you what you have, what you're saying. And Father, right now, Lord, we just give you ourselves. We lay ourselves at the altar. And we say, just as David said, search me, O God. If there's any way in me that needs to change, reveal it now, Lord. Hallelujah. Mm, Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we need an internal change so we can love without distinction, so we can love like you. Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit that you've given to each one of us that would lead us each and every day as we leave here. Lord, that we'd put on those different colored glasses. Lord, that we would see others how you see them. Lord, I thank you for doors that would open, that prompt us, Lord, to speak a kind word, a loving word, to help someone else, to love the unlovable, to love the one that nobody else loves, to love that person that's so irritating or this or that or that gets on on our nerves. Father, change us because we need that change. This Christmas, Lord, may we get a different attitude, a different perspective like never before, like we've never had bring us to a place where we just see others through the eyes of love. Lord, I thank you. I praise you. I thank you for what you're doing here in the Connection Church, what you're doing in each one of us Lord, I thank you for bringing and uh, us growing one day at a time in your love and love for others. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen.